Let's hear some of that movie chat. Credits roll by and I tip my hat. Credits roll by, I wanna know more right away. Let's have some of that movie chat. Credits roll by, tell me who did that. Life in the credits is where I wanna play. Welcome to Life in the Credits. This is the show where we learn about entertainment by chatting with people who work in the industry. I'm Susan. And I'm Ben. And Tara was listening to the film About My Father. And joining us today is our special guest, Laura Russo. So welcome. Hey, Laura. For joining us, Laura. Hey, thanks for having me. We're very excited to chat with you today. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in the entertainment world? I'm a writer and a director. I've made four features now, written on a few of them. Yeah, that's what I do. Awesome. That's very cool. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your path you took to get to where you are today in your career? Yeah. So I always knew that I wanted to be in the creative space or the creative field. I, as a kid, would write. And then I was sort of like a, a performer. And in high school, I was in all the plays and musicals. And I, in high school, I thought that maybe I'd be an actor, uh-huh. um, which is hilarious because I'm I'm quite terrible at it. Actually. <laughs> but I ended up going to school for journalism because I'm from an Italian American family, and we didn't have anyone in in our family who was in the entertainment business. Yeah. And my parents were like, not art, anything but art. And so <laughs> journalism felt like the closest thing. Sure. It's funny. I like worked in like broadcast journalism for a minute. Like I really got into radio and I was the news director for uh, WNYU, which was my college radio station. Yes. And then I got a job, my first job out of college was working as a film researcher for a company called Getty Images which is a huge stock footage. Yeah, um, huge. And so I spent two years there in the archives, just like I'd get a request and it would be like, ExxonMobil wants pictures of green fields and blue skies. And I would like put together a tape of green fields <laughs> and blue skies and send it on over to ExxonMobil. And I was like, there's got to be more to life than this. You know? And um, at the same time, we had this incredible archive. So every now and then you'd get like a request from a documentary filmmaker and it'd be like, hey, we want all of the like World War II footage that you have. And I'd pull these tapes and it was like right when the Americans freed the camps, the concentration camps, and you're seeing these, you know, and it's like, it really struck me that all of 20th century history is on film. Like it's right. all there. Yeah. You know, this footage was, it was kind of extraordinary to just be able to like pull a tape and and get a, a glimpse of a moment in time. There were all these cultural videos too, where it was like, you know, how to go on a date. And it's like, <laughs> and, and, and that was really interesting as well, because I saw how, film was like shaping culture. I really just kind of fell in love with the medium. Mm -hmm. I started writing short films and making these, these short films and submitting them to the gay and lesbian film festival circuit. And so I would screen my, my films there and meet other filmmakers and started going to other festivals. And this was at a moment in time when it was like people were sort of DIYing. It was that mumblecore movement. People were making their own films with like 200 bucks and a video camera and their friend would be holding a boom. And that was the vibe. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. And yeah, but I realized that the people who kind of made that the leap into having careers were the people who went to film school. 
Mm. So I, after eight years, you know, I then got a job at NYU uh, and like was making films on the side. And after eight years, uh, at, at 28 years old, I went to the grad film program at NYU. I got in at, when I got the call that I got in, I was so, I was like happy. And then I cried because I was like, it's that moment. It's that break into act two yeah. where you're like, oh my God, this is a life-changing thing, but how can I afford it? You know, you have like yeah. the debate of like, this is so expensive. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. What if I graduate and I never make money? You know, it's, it's like terrifying, yeah. but I, but I loved, I loved it so much. I was like, I have to do this. And everybody in my life kind of was like, stepped forward to help me go. You know, my parents were like, we'll help. My partner at the time was like, you know, you don't have to pay rent the next couple of years. You should do this. And so I went to grad film program at NYU and it was like the happiest three years of my life. I mean, I was one of eight Americans. There were 32 students to my class. And the secret of NYU is like, in some ways, you're learning as much from your classmates as you are from the, the faculty. Like it's it's such a, you know, you're seeing other people try things. And because it was such a diverse student body, I realized that, you know, what set me apart, because I, I had started out making these like queer shorts, but what set me apart was not that I was gay, it was that I was funny. Mm. And that I wanted to make comedies. And being in film school, I realized that I wanted to make broad comedies. I wanted to make movies that like the students from Southeast Asia could understand and laugh at. In my first year there, I made a film called Doris and the Intern. And it's about this older woman who falls in love with the office intern. And Michael Showalter was an adjunct professor at NYU at the time. and And he was like this is really good. And we started chatting, we were chatting about films and filmmakers we liked. And one day he's like, we should write something together. And I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> you know, it's like a huge opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And so we started writing what eventually became Hello, My Name is Doris. And it took about a year, I think, to, to write it. And then, um, and and it's completely, like, it's so funny. We wrote this whole other film that was like a rom-com for a woman of a certain age. And then he's like, I feel like it needs to be more like your short. And so we went back to Doris and the intern and we kind of pulled that storyline, just that the, the, the kind of setup, the premise. Yeah, yeah. And that became Hello, My Name is Doris. And we shot the film. I think I was a second year when we wrote it. And in my third year, I was a graduate assistant, which is great because uh, you you teach and in exchange for teaching, you get your tuition covered and you get like a small stipend. So you can kind of live, you can yeah. live. Kind of live, yeah. <laughs> and so he was out in LA that year working as a TV writer and you know, we when we when he was in New York, we talked about okay, who's going to direct the movie? And I was like, well, let's co-direct it. And he's like, no, I'm in the DGA; they're never going to allow that. And so I thought about it, and I was like, okay, you should direct it because you're going to get it made sooner. But I want to be like yeah. by your side; like I want to be a producer. I need to be involved like every step of the way. And he's like, okay, done. So he was out in LA, and he called me, and he's like you know, I found the producer and, you know, I'm like, 
I'm like eating ramen every night. Like, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, <laughs> so it was basically like I finished my third year of film school and flew out to LA and was shooting a movie with Sally Field. I mean, it was, un- it was unbelievable. That's uh, insane. Yeah, it was crazy. Like we had our our cast dinner the before we started shooting and I'm sitting there and I'm sitting opposite Sally and she's like, so what's your story? And I tell her the story and she's like, showbiz. <laughs> like, what? It was wild. But it was really amazing getting to work on that film and work with Michael and work with Sally and yeah. see how, you know, Sally and Michael work together and how, you know, just, just like make a movie at a level. I mean, that movie was considered quote unquote low budget. It was like 1.25, but I was coming from like Bumblecore making like hundred thousand dollar, you know, little nothing. So this was like, wow, this is, you know, this is Hollywood, man. Like, look at, there's people who put the chairs out. This is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, when I was out in LA said to me, you know, Laura, you really have to move to LA. The work is here. Hmm. And being a lifelong New Yorker, I was like, you know, all right. Yeah, you're you're probably right. But I knew that no one was going to take me seriously as a director, having just been the co-writer on that film. So I went back to New York and I wrote something. I had been working on this like really difficult, very personal, you know, it was like a period piece screenplay for like a year. And I was kind of, banging my head against the wall. And I got back to New York and I'm like, you know what? Let me write something really small, like a one night movie, like an after hours kind of. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and then I can just produce it and we can make it this summer and it'll be my thesis film. And then I'll have a feature under my belt. And so then when I go to LA, I will be a writer director. I will not just be perceived as a writer. And so I did just that. I, I wrote this movie called Fits and Starts. It starred Wyatt Cenac and Greta Lee, and uh, it's about a, a couple. It's about a creative couple, two writers, one marriage. What could go wrong? Um, <laughs> and it was a very personal film, and we shot it in like 14 days. I mean, it was it was insane how quickly we shot that film. And, you know, it was I went back to like the mumblecore roots where it's like, okay, let's just get this thing on. Yeah. That film premiered at South by Southwest, the very same year that Doris was being released in theaters. And so that was when I was like, okay, now I can move to LA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I moved to LA with, I don't even know, like $1,500 in my bank account. My first job was directing a, a game show for College Humor called I Want My Phone Back. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. It was really fun. It was like improvised. We shot all over LA. It was a great way to learn the city. Mm-hmm. And then I met with this company called Alloy Entertainment. They had a project called Good Girls Get High. I read the script and the script felt dated. And it also felt like there was no way, you know, because I, I, had, I, I had produced. Like I understood yeah. what it what a million dollar budget should look like. Right. And so I was like, we can't make this. So so they were like, okay, rewrite it and then we'll make it. And so uh, I rewrote and directed this movie, Good Girls Get High. That was really fun. That was a fun uh, moment. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, ultimately the film ended up on HBO Max and it was just such a fun process yeah. of making the movie that um, the producers at Alloy brought me in to pitch on a, 
a big dance movie that they were making with uh, this company called STX. So I went in with them to pitch to STX on this movie called Work It, which is about this young girl who can't dance, who has to learn how to dance to get into college, because that's a thing. Yeah. I ended up getting the gig and once again it was very similar I rewrote a lot of a lot of the the script and Netflix ended up coming and taking over that project Mm -hmm. and so I ended up making the film with Netflix uh, which was an awesome experience and then that got me my agent it took getting a 20 million dollar movie to get an agent wow oh my god fun fact <laughs> it's not as easy as you think the minute i started writing doris with michael i'm like yeah i'm gonna get an agent right. now yeah it, t- it took like five years oh my god. <laughs> that's wild and so that led to about my father because yeah. my agent sent me the script for about right. my father and okay. that was kind of how that how i i came to that project Awesome. Very cool. What was it about About My Father or other scripts you decided to direct that really attracted you to them and made you want to take that project on? I think for everything that I direct, I have to, it's got to feel personal to me in some way. Totally. Because there's something about directing that is so instinctive. And oftentimes in the moment, you have to just like feel your way through a moment. You know, like the camera kind of tells you where it needs to be based on your emotional attachment to that main character, your, your, your empathy. It's like, it's all like, it's like a parasympathetic yeah. <laughs> experience. <laughs> and so any film I make, I feel like I have to relate to the main character. Right. You know, about my father is extremely personal for me because it's about my relationship with my Sicilian mother. Yeah. You know, my mother and Sebastian's father immigrated at like practically the same time it was like the same few years and so when I read the script I was just like oh my god I have to direct this this is so personal and and also so universal I mean it it really Laura in film school that this was her this is her dream like to make this movie because it's broad it's universal it can speak to every culture and yet it's so deeply personal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who knew that this thing was out there that yeah. I didn't even know I had to direct it. <laughs> well, that's very, very cool. In terms of the process for making a film like About My Father, how much time as a writer director do you spend in the, the different phases of production? So pre-production and then actually shooting the movie and then post? That's a great question. So every movie is different. Every movie has its own weird timeline and its own crazy set of like what what are seemingly insurmountable challenges. Sure. About my father, I got the job and then we did the table read with with De Niro in New York in September of 2020. And then the studio was like, okay, we're going to shoot it in January. So I was like working on the script and doing, you know, like trying to get everything ready to shoot this thing in January. And then they were like, actually, we can't make it work. You know, De Niro was shooting Killers of the Flower Moon at the time. So his schedule was all over the place. So it was like, we can't make it work. So we're going to push this. We're probably going to shoot it in the fall. So now I'm like, Oh man, you know, and and the producers were like, you know, we understand you got to take other work, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, my heart is like so with this movie yeah. now. 
And so I went and like did a TV show, you know, an episode of television and, and then it came back around and, and they're like, okay, we're shooting. You know, it's always like, hurry, get, go, go, go. <laughs> like you're waiting and waiting. Yeah. And waiting. It's so painful. And then you get the call and it's like, go, go, go. You need to shoot. We have to go right now. <laughs> we, we, we got the green light and it was like, okay, we're going to make the movie. Uh, and we're shooting in Mobile, Alabama. And I'm like, say what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all nowadays studios will send you to the cheapest possible place yeah. to make a movie. Like some some guy in an air-conditioned office in Burbank is running those numbers. Yeah. And he's like, okay, you should shoot this in, you know. New Orleans, Alabama, Atlanta, Toronto, Vancouver, like there's just like certain places that have good tax incentives. And so despite the fact that the entire industry settled here in Hollywood, California, because of this perfect weather and, you know, sun, beautiful sunlight, we are, we now have to leave this gorgeous place (laughs) and go and work in a swamp, basically. (laughs) So... (laughs) So I got to Mobile in August 2021 and we prepped for about a month. It was it's like eight weeks of, of prep where you go to different locations and you're like, yeah, this could work for the Collins Helm, this could work for the, the country club, this could, right. you know. And the locations were extraordinary. I mean, it was beautiful. It was actually a really lovely, like like Mobile's an, a lovely, lovely place great food, beautiful, the hottest and most humid. (laughs) (laughs) It was literally a swamp. (laughs) It was, it was so like the entire month of August, because I'm from New York. I like to think that I'm really tough. You know, I'm like, I'm a New Yorker. I'm from Brooklyn. Respectfully, I'm from Brooklyn. Like I'm that kind of person. (laughs) I got to Mobile and I was like, Oh, mamacita, get me into air conditioning immediately. <laughs> How, like, you're just drenched. Like, yeah. you're just covered in sweat from the moment you leave your door because yeah. it's, so, it's so hot and the humidity is at, like, 90%. So we prepped in August, and then we shot, we had 32 days to shoot the movie wow. in September and October. I want to say it rained, like, 90% of those days. And wow. this is a summer weekend oh my movie. god yeah it was a nightmare yeah like, a nightmare <laughs> and the thing about like when you're shooting a small like indie or whatever if it rains you're like yeah we use it let's yeah. show up and shoot a scene like let's do it you know you, you have the freedom to like let's just use it let's go outside and like shoot something in the rain yeah. when you're on a studio movie there are unions and the union will be like nope there's a lightning strike within 30 and for, for good cause. Right. Yeah, for yeah. Yeah. Within 30 mile radius, everything shuts down and mm-hmm. it'll shut down for like, like a half hour and it resets the clock resets for every lightning strike within a 30 mile oh, radius. Yeah. So there was like a day where we're in that big house and the entire crew, it's like a hundred people are just hanging out, playing cards. And I am like, my hair is like graying by the minute like I'm like oh my god I'm losing an entire shooting day this is a disaster what are we gonna do how are we gonna make up for this you know it was just and for the DP 
Alabama was an absolute nightmare because yeah. the mornings it's like dense fog, right? Mm. Like so it's like this kind of eerie, foggy, you know, it's like very horror movie vibes. Mm-hmm. And then by like 11, 12, you've got like harsh sun just yeah. blasting. God. And then in the afternoon, the storm clouds roll in and suddenly it's like getting rainy and stormy. And so the cinematographer shooting a scene over like four hours and we've gone through every single possible weather scenario <laughs> and he's got to make it look like the whole thing. It all happened in 15 minutes. You know, right. it's, yeah. um, it was it was a really, really hard shoot. Right. Um, so then after production, you have 10 weeks to deliver your director's cut to the studio. And then you send that to the studio and the studio hopefully likes it. God, I've never been in a position where they didn't. That would suck because then they likely take it away. But then uh, what they do is they'll test it and they test it with an audience and see what an audience is responding to, you know, where it's working, where it's not. And our post was actually really, really quick. They liked the director's cut. We made a couple of minor tweaks tested it tested well you know a couple more little tweaks and then and then they're like okay we're happy with this we're gonna hold on and see you know if we want to reshoot anything waited uh, nine months <laughs> to be like no we're good like we sent them all these pages I'm like hey I, I think this could be a really cool yeah. scene you know we're all like and then it's like no we're happy we're happy with the movie we're happy with the score well, that's great. It's, a, it's such a weird experience. Being a director on a studio movie, there's like, um, in some ways, it's like a hospitality job. Yeah. Interesting. You know, because it's like you're working for them, you know? Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to deliver to them something that they feel like, okay, this is firing on these c- cylinders. This is going to make us money. It's so different than when you make an indie and you're like, wow, you know, like it's, it's just like a completely, completely different thing. And there are different sets of challenges. Yeah. That was the experience with About My Father. Through the whole of your career, even if it's just like starting out, what, were, what was a challenge maybe you didn't expect when you started to get into directing? I mean, I think there's a learning curve yeah. to the reality of like the business and like understanding how you work with producers well, how you work with the studio well, you know, you have to, nobody teaches you that in film school. So you kind of have to just learn it. And I was lucky in that I had the experience on Doris and working with Michael. And I was so green at the time and producers would give a a note. I'd be like, no, we can't do that. (laughs) You know, and I'd like rage and he'd be like, well, calm down. Like, this is what we're going to do, you know? And it was like, oh, okay. And then I, I saw how he was able to navigate that those yeah. relationships to success. Similarly, I feel like that's a part of the business that really can't be taught. You just have yeah. to do it. Yeah. And, you know, you, you have to go in knowing that everybody wants to make a great movie. And I think the most important thing is that you have to like make sure you you and the studio and your producers are all in lockstep that you are on a page about what it is you are doing and what what the movie is that you're trying to make so that the relationship is smooth. Yeah. Great. So do you have any moments from your career that are a really favorite moment or a moment where you're like, I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living? Oh my God. I mean, <laughs> like working with De Niro, yeah. it was unbelievable. And yeah. every moment on set is like a dream. Like, it's like, 
I am so happy. I am so in my element. I'm so, I'm holding the whole film in my head and in my heart and I'm working off of instinct, you know, and it's like, it just feels so natural and wonderful to like discover things or I tend to over-prepare as a, as a director where I'll like shot list every scene in the location with the DP before we get there. But the reason I do that is so that on the day I can throw it away and start over, but knowing what the important moments are and like the important things that I can't forget to get. It's just like when you're working with the level of talent that we had and about my father, De Niro, Kim Cattrall, I mean, like these are just extraordinary actors. Every single member of that cast is mm-hmm. like top tier. Right. And yeah. you get to just play with them and see them, you know, the, the best moments on set are the ones that aren't on the page. The, right. They're the ones that are improvised or um, you discover in the moment or you're, you're like, Oh, I got an idea. Or De Niro's like, I got an idea. Somebody's got an idea. And you're like, let's do it. You know? Yeah. That's the best part of filmmaking that's awesome that's a great answer well we got one more question before we dive more specifically into the film and that question laura is what advice do you have for people who want to get either into writing or directing if it's writing write write every day write all the time write a ton of stuff and it doesn't have to be screenplays screenplays can be i think hard for new writers or young writers because in and of themselves, they aren't a product, mm-hmm. you know? I think of right. that often, like a magazine story is considered IP. Yeah. A book is considered IP. You have the product, you've written the book, you've written the, you know, but a screenplay, even though it might be completely original, is like, oh, well, it's not real until it's shot. Right. So, you know, maybe the way forward for a young screenwriter is like write a a magazine article. That's what you want to base your script on. Or like, I think that there's something to that because screenwriting takes so much time, Yeah, but just always be writing and directing. I think you have to be willing to kind of, I said yes to everything. Like when I was in film school, I worked in every possible capacity on a set. I was a AD a DP. I shot early episodes of high maintenance. I worked as a sound recordist. I was like recording sound in bathrooms in New York. And like, (laughs) you know, I was like, God only knows what kind of disease I'm going to contract in this bathroom stall. (laughs) I'm doing this because I love, you know, you you, like like, the things that I did for the love of the craft, you're like, Oh my God. And I feel like there's a, there's a karma to that. Not only do you learn by watching other filmmakers work, but karmically, I believe in the film gods. And I've definitely been in situations in my career where I'm like, oh man, this could all like go to hell. Like this is all like, this could go really, really wrong. And the film gods somehow step in and like carry me through. And I'm like, I recorded sound in so many bathrooms. Let's get to our featured film. Here we're discussing 2023 comedy About My Father. It was written by Austin Earle and Sebastian Maniscalco and directed by our guest, Laura Teruso. It stars Robert De Niro, Sebastian Maniscalco, Leslie Bibb, Kim Cattrall, and David Rausch. 
It's available on digital now and Blu-ray, DVD, and on demand starting August 1st. So Susan, you give us a breakdown. What's this movie about? Yeah, so this is kind of a fish out of water story a little bit, but it is about an Italian-American family. Sebastian's dad, Salvo, is an immigrant. And they're kind of seeing their family relationship. They're really the only two family they both have left um, because his mom did pass away. Um, And then we also see his girlfriend, Ellie, and her family, who are a lot different. And we just see these two families interact, see them go visit them. We see Sebastian and Salvo visit them for 4th of July and just see it all unfold. And I don't know if you want to go into more detail on the plot. I don't want to spoil anything, so I didn't want to go too deep. Uh, I, you know, I think of this movie as a romantic comedy between a father and a son. Yeah, you know? totally. that's a good way to describe uh, it. Yeah. With the uh, run to the airport moment. Yes. It's very much Sebastian's, Sebastian Maniscalco is a, a very well, well-known comedian. Yeah. And it's very much his love letter to his father. So there's a, an element of, you know, cultures clashing, two sets of parents meeting. There's also this element, this, you know, I I think richer layer to it of what it means to be an immigrant and what it means to be first generation Mm. and having a parent who is an immigrant, sort of the specificity of that experience and the universality of that experience. Um, And so, yeah, that's a lot of what the film is about for me. Yeah, and this, I mean, this movie is extremely relatable because, I mean, everyone's been embarrassed by their parents before, right? Or, like, had to introduce their family to their significant other's family and and just felt that awkwardness of, like, oh, you know, like, I want to protect my relationship and also, like, but also get in good with these folks. And so, I mean, obviously, this movie is very funny. I just love the relationship between Salvo and Sebastian. It's a uh, a very relatable story. Totally. I think all parents are embarrassed by their kids and all kids are embarrassed yeah. by their parents. And it totally. doesn't matter what culture, what race, like we're all like, oh, mom, you know, and, and parents are like, oh my God, my kids. And it's, I think ultimately it's because it's like, because it's such a primal relationship and our parents see us in or themselves in us and we see ourselves in our parents and it's like those moments where you're like no you know know, parents want their kids to be like the perfect versions of themselves and kids feel that pressure and rebel against it and kids like look at their parents and they're like oh my god like I this is the worst you know this is this is what I don't want to want to these are the things I don't want you know in some ways yeah Um, but it's also it's also such a love letter and and ultimately you know I'm so grateful to Sebastian and Austin for sitting down and writing this script because it's it's like a film that I didn't even know that I had to make yeah that I got to make and I what I love about comedy and and the work that I do is you know I'm I'm making movies that are feel good you know and that that make an audience laugh and smile and leave and be like, that was so sweet. And that was, you know, and I get to like say things in my movies that maybe I never thought to say in life. Like I've never had the moment with my mom where I'm like, thank you for coming here and having me and giving up your life in Sicily to like come to this country. And, you know, like it's such a, it's such a cheesy thing, but like, I feel like, in my films I get to say the things that maybe I was too afraid or didn't get to say in real life 
Totally. Yeah, that's awesome. Dude, what a great, I mean, format to get to do that in on a huge <laughs> <laughs> so when this movie was coming together this cast has so many people in it how did this all form like how did the cast get together and the team you had working behind the camera when i signed on to the movie the first person that we sent the script out to was de niro okay and it was like two days later okay you're zooming with de niro tomorrow and i was like wow oh, and so um i zoomed with him and i i had put together a really really detailed presentation of kind of my vision for the film it was like this PowerPoint, like it was like an hour long PowerPoint. Like I went through every single aspect of the movie and it served me throughout the entire process because I showed that PowerPoint to Bob. I showed that PowerPoint to each of my department heads to be like, this is my vision. This is what I want this to look and feel like, you know, it was, it was a way to kind of get on a page with everyone mm. and help them see what I was seeing. Once Bob signed on, then it was about putting together the rest of the cast. And, and you know, one of the real blessings of working with Robert De Niro is people people want to work with him. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're really excited about working with him yeah. and, and they're willing to audition and, and read with him. And he wanted to read with everyone. Awesome. So Bob watched the tapes of the people that I was like, this is who I like. Or he read with those actors, uh, but he was very involved in casting. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's how the cast sort of came together. Mm -hmm. You know, the, I think the most important thing was that everybody be funny. Like every yeah. every single cast member had to have comedic chops. And man, we lucked out. Like yeah. we just like such a extraordinary cast of comedic actors who can also really do the heart yes. as well. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're really versatile um, and that's so rare. And I find that like comedy people can do drama, but sometimes drama people can't really do comedy. And like, it, it just, it worked out so well um, in terms of, of our, our cast. And, and then in terms of behind the camera, you know, I, I interviewed a, a handful of, of department heads and, and, you know, it, it's, it varies from department to department. Like yeah. sometimes it'll just be based off of a conversation. Other times they'll have like, you know, like a production designer or a wardrobe designer will come to you with like a, a presentation, much like the one I did yeah. that's focused solely on wardrobe. And they'll walk you through like, these are the characters. This is how I see them. And it's really just about like, okay, does this does this person's vision for the world and the characters align with mine right. and sort of whomever vibes most, yeah. you know, that's who, that's who you work with. Mm -hmm. So I got to work with some really amazing department heads in wardrobe and production design. Brenda Abandondalo did, did our costumes and Javier Avaras did production design. And I was like, just blown away with what yeah. they were able to, to do. That's great. Yeah. Laura, do you have a favorite moment from the film or something that really was like a moment that either working on it or from the story itself that really jumps out at you is like, I love this part. I mean, I love the scene between Bob and Kim when they're smoking cigars. Yeah, yeah. I love that scene too. They yeah. both really smoked cigars. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, Kim can blow a, a smoke ring, which That's is awesome. Coolest fun fact about Kim Cattrall. Yeah, I assumed that was like a visual effect. 
they, you know, they were blowing smoke rings at each other. They were having the time of their life. Like it was really cool to watch. And that was just a really fun scene to work on a memorable scene, you know, like the whole house smelled like cigars afterwards. It was just cool. And so that was really memorable. You know, I love the, the Doug flute moment. Um, yeah. And that actually came out of the audition process because oh. Brett Dyer, who plays Doug, sent in his audition tape and his manager said uh, he's going on a silent retreat um, for, for the next week. So here's his tape, but he won't be able to do a callback for a week. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the guy. Like, he's going <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, it's Doug. Yeah. And he's, he's living he's, that part. so funny. <laughs> But the, but the character was sort of scripted differently. He okay. was scripted as like a heavy set guy. And it wasn't, you know, that was a character that I worked with Sebastian and Austin a lot on because I really liked the idea of Doug being the opposite of Lucky. If Lucky yeah. is like the ardent capitalist, then Doug should be the like socialist, yeah. like I'm a yeah. healer, I'm eschewing mm -hmm. my wealth, you know? Right. Like, give him a real strong POV. And so... I felt really close to that character. And so I was like, this is the guy, this is the guy. And I think Sebastian and Austin in their heads had had like this kind of heavier set Doug yeah. uh, in, in mind. So I was like, let's, you know, come in, do a callback. I want you to read with Bob. And I said, you know, I really like you for this role. Mm -hmm. And and he said, oh, I'm so excited. You know, should I bring my flute? And I'm like, yes. Obviously. 100%. <laughs> bring your flute, bust it out at the right moment. And so I had them in the audition. And this is all over Zoom. Improvised yeah. this scene where I was like, let's, let's work on a healing session between mm -hmm. Salvo and Doug. And that's how that scene came to end up in the movie because they did this improv and Brett like just knocked it out of the park with the like heel little salvo heel and then he pulls out the flute the minute the flute comes into frame and he starts playing even De Niro cracked and I was like we got him that's yeah. it done like this is the guy yeah it's those moments where it's just like that's it yeah that's awesome Susan do you have ever seen there were a few. I all the cologne like application yes. scenes. Yeah, that um, time for teen. Yeah, that was great. Oh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of good ones. The helicopter. Yeah. The Christmas photo scene, especially at the very end. Um, yeah. The Italian dinner was my favorite. Um, oh my god! I don't yeah. want to spoil it, but that was absolutely a standout for me. Of like. This is wild. Mm -hmm. but pin, loved it. The pin on that whole storyline too was great. Oh yeah. <laughs> like enjoyable the whole time. And also, like you said, so heartfelt and touching that like, you're like, am I tearing up a little bit at this comedic movie about like <laughs> these two families getting together? But yeah, just really well done. So check out About My Father. It's available on digital now. It's on Blu-ray DVD and on demand starting on August 1st. We'd like to finish up our show today with a game that we're calling About This Actor. We're going to see how both of you know well-known actors. So Laura and Susan, you'll be playing as a team. Here are the rules. I've given both of you a list of actors. You will take turns describing the actor's films, their characters, whatever you want to each other as quickly as you can. But you cannot use the name of the actor. You will have one minute to get your partner to guess as many as possible. 
And if you get five correct, then Laura will win our prize. And Susan wants our prize. Some Life in the Credits merchandise, like a shirt or a hat or a mug or something like that. Yeah, we'll yeah. send you something in the mail. <laughs> Very exciting. Right. All right. Laura, are you ready to play? I'm so ready. Let's do this. Okay. Okay. Your time will start after you give your first clue. He played Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks. Yes, one point. Uh, he was in Titanic. Um, he was in Wolf of Wall. DiCaprio. Yes. Two points. I'll never let go, Jack. Oh, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. Kate Winslet. Three points. Uh, she's Devil Wears Prada. Um, Anne Hathaway, Meryl yeah. Streep. Anne okay. Hathaway. Four <laughs> points. Uh, are you talking to me? Oh, this is Robert De Niro. Yeah, yeah. five points. <laughs> um, Indiana Jones. Uh, oh, oh, God. Um, uh, what's his name? Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah six points. Um, uh, oh, no, that's right. Oh, it's your um, Pretty Woman. Um, oh, my gosh. Um, what's, why am I blanking on her name? Oh, my God. I can't. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm like, uh, Something Child's. Uh, oh, oh, Julia Roberts, duh. Why could I not her name? Um, uh, she was in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. She's famous for like her white dress flying up. Marilyn uh, Monroe. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. eight points in time. Yeah. You guys won that easily. Oh my gosh, how did I not think of Julia Roberts? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, listen, when the, the clock is going, my it's brain really brain. hard to think yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was great. We, we make yeah. a good team. Yeah, that was did easy. It. <laughs> you guys won easily. Well done. So, congratulations, Laura. I'm looking forward to my merch. Yes, perfect. We'll send that out. <laughs> well, before we let you go, uh, Laura, is there anything that you would like to plug? I just hope that everybody watches about my father with their families because it is a family-friendly movie. Um, you can watch it with your grandparents and not have any awkwardness. <laughs> Perfect. That is a great thing. Yes. That's great. a good selling point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this today. It was an absolute pleasure to yeah. talk to you, Laura. This was really thank fun. You. Thanks. It was, it was so great. Thanks for having me. Life in the Credits is hosted and produced by me, Susan Swarner. And me, Ben Bloom. It's executive produced by Michelle Levin. The music is written and performed by Steve Trowbridge. You can hear more of Steve's music at TrowbridgeSounds.com. The show logo is created by Melissa Durkin. If you'd like to support Life in the Credits and get access to exclusive perks, you can do so at Patreon.com. If you'd like to follow or get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life in the Credits or shoot us an email at lifeinthecredits at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Wow, this is Hollywood, man. Like, look at, there's people who put the chairs out. This is crazy. <laughs>